the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. In order to be the church, we have to be in church. Take your family to church. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. first have to meet Moses in the law to see what a wretched person we really are, condemned, wretched, depraved. Having met Moses in the law and seen our true condition, we then move on to meet Jesus in the New Testament, where we discover his grace and mercy in providing salvation for us. Now, I hope that that has been your experience. But if not, then you need to pay close attention to what we're going to study this morning. Actually, whether or not that has been your experience, you'll want to pay close attention today and for the next few days, because in these closing verses of Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul has great stuff to tell us about what it means to be saved from the condemnation of the Mosaic Law by faith in Christ. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve is beginning his concluding message in this series about the purpose of God's law. Quite often, when presented with the gospel, the unsaved will resist by saying they're not ready. I hope this doesn't sound rude, but that's silly. You don't wait for a cavity to heal before you go to the dentist. You don't wait for sin to go away before you go to Jesus. As sinners, we are by definition ready to come to Jesus in faith because Only He has the cure for sin. We need Him, and we don't need anything else. We need Him. Here's Pastor Steve now with our lesson. If you wait till you're better, you'll never come. It's what we've been studying in Galatians. We're not getting any better. The law cannot save us. It's only faith in Christ, which brings us out of the prison of the law and brings us to salvation. I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 as we consider, continue our study of this marvelous letter by the Apostle Paul to the churches of Galatia. And we're looking at the last passage of chapter 3. Starting in verse 23, Paul writes this, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one. In Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs, according to promise. This morning we have come in our study of 
Galatians to this very important passage of Scripture, which actually contains one of the most misunderstood verses in the entire New Testament. I'm referring to verse 28, in which Paul writes, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This verse has been used by some to teach that when one becomes a Christian, he or she loses all ethnic social, and even gender distinctions. In other words, in becoming a Christian, you lose your unique identity. You lose being you. Because if in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, then those who interpret it this way would say, then if you were born Jewish, you're no longer Jewish now that you're a Christian. Or if you were born Greek or any nationality or people group, then that ethnic heritage of yours is gone. And you should only think of yourself now as a citizen of heaven and not a citizen of any earthly country or people group. Likewise, if in Christ there is neither slave nor free man, then whatever social or economic standing you had before you were a Christian, now it's been removed and you are to be socially and financially equal with every other believer in Christ. And if there is neither male nor female in Christ, then all gender distinctions have ceased too. And therefore, men and women are to be treated exactly the same with their roles in the church being exactly the same, if indeed that is the correct interpretation. So according to this view of Galatians 3.28, Paul is, is then saying that once we come to faith in Christ, we lose some very significant features in terms of our ethnic heritage, our social standing, and even our sexual distinctiveness, so that the church is, in the words of one writer, a raceless, classless, and genderless society. Now, folks, let me tell you up front, that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. That's not what he's teaching. Not at all. And those who think that this is what Paul is saying are not only wrong, but they've completely missed the point of Paul's teaching In Galatians 3, see, far from teaching that becoming a Christian robs you of your unique identity and puts you in a little little box, a form of a bondage, Paul actually teaches that being a Christian is a liberating experience because it frees you to function properly in the body of Christ, in the family of God, regardless of your ethnic, social, or gender identities. In other words, being a Christian is what liberates us from being at odds with one another because of our ethnic, social, and gender backgrounds, so that those things that once divided us and created barriers between us, they're now removed in Christ. They're not hindering us at all. You see, Galatians 3.28 has to be seen in the context if we're to understand it properly. This verse is part of a larger section of Paul's letter to the Galatians in which he is explaining to them the purpose of, of the law. Now, as you recall from our previous studies, the Galatians had been misled. They had been deceived by a group of false teachers, Jewish men, known as Judaizers, who taught them that it was necessary that though they were Gentiles, they now needed to keep the law of Moses, the Jewish laws, if they hoped to be saved. They said, it's not enough that you believe in Jesus. You must also keep the Jewish laws to be 
saved. And Paul's objective here in chapter 3 is to convince them that that teaching is absolutely wrong. And he does it here in chapter 3 by showing them the true purpose of the law, which was never to save anybody. And to make his point, as we've already seen, starting in verse 10, Paul begins to say some rather what we would call negative things about the law. He said, for example, in verse 10, that the law brings a curse with it because you have to obey it perfectly all the time. Otherwise, you are cursed with the condemnation of judgment upon you, divine judgment, if you don't obey it perfectly. That's verse 10. In verse 11, he said, far from the law teaching us that we're saved by the law, the law, actually the Old Testament teaches us that true believers are characterized by living by faith. He quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2. Verse 4, the just shall live by faith. We are those who live by faith, not by law. And then he says in verse 12 that the principle of law is completely opposite the principle of faith. That is to say, you can't mix them like the Judaizers were doing, saying, well, you have to believe and you also have to work at it. Paul said that's impossible. They're mutually exclusive. That's verse 12. You can't mix them for salvation. Law and faith are opposites. Now, it's in light of all these negative things that Paul's been saying about the law and what it could not do, which is save anyone, that the apostle anticipated that the Galatians would have some questions to ask concerning why God did give his law. That's exactly right. He knew that they were thinking, look, Paul, if the law can't save anyone, then what purpose does it serve? Why did God give it in the first place? And so anticipating their questions, a couple of specific questions, I might add, about why God gave the law, Paul explains, and we saw this last week from verses 19 through 22, the true, the real purpose of the law. He gave two of them, two of them. In verse 19, he said, purpose number one is that the law was added because of transgressions, meaning that the law was given to show us that we were transgressors of God's will. You see, prior to the law, people had still sinned. They had been sinning since man fell in the Garden of Eden. But with the giving of the law, those sins were officially defined as actual transgressions transgressions against the holy standards of God. In other words, the law took the guesswork out of what was right and wrong by revealing that certain actions and attitudes were actual violations against God. It just became official. Purpose number two, as Paul explains in verses 21 and 22, is that the law was given to drive us to Christ. See, having come face to face with the fact that we are wicked transgressors of God's standards of right and wrong, Paul says in verse 22 that the law places us in a prison. Look at verse 22 again. He says, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin. He means it's locked us up. It places us in a prison of condemnation to which there is nothing we can do to escape. The law locks us up by condemning us as those who deserve and await divine judgment. God's purpose in doing such a thing, Paul says, is to help us to see that left to ourselves, we are in a state of eternal helplessness and hopelessness and desperately need someone to deliver us, to save us. And we know that we can't save ourselves because all we can do, according to what Scripture says and our own experience verifies this, is sin and break the law, which only confirms what God has been saying about the curse of the law's condemnation. And so the only one who can deliver us from the condemnation of the law is none other than Jesus Christ because being God and man, he paid the eternal 
price and penalty for sin when he died on the cross. He was the substitute, paying the price for our sins. You see, the purpose of the law is to show us what a horribly grave situation we're in and how much we need Christ to save us. And so we are driven in desperation to Jesus Christ for deliverance. Paul is simply saying the law is designed to show us that it can't save us. It can only condemn us, and therefore it puts us, purposely puts us, in a state of utter despair so that when God does enlighten us as to our true condition before him, we run to Christ seeking his mercy and grace and salvation. Now, that is the path that all sinners take in experiencing salvation. As I told you last week, we first have to meet Moses in the law to see what a wretched person we really are, condemned, wretched, depraved. Having met Moses in the law and seen our true condition, we then move on to meet Jesus in the New Testament where we discover his grace and mercy in providing salvation for us. Now, I hope that that has been your experience. But if not, then you need to pay close attention to what we are going to study this morning. Because as Paul continues writing to the Galatians, he, notice this, elaborates on this very truth of what it means to be saved from the condemnation of the law by faith in Christ as he moves on to the final verses of what we call chapter 3. See, having explained God's purpose for giving mankind his law, which is, as we've said, to reveal sin and drive us to faith in Christ, Paul now proceeds in this passage before us to explain how it works. How it works. That is to say, he shows us how a person goes from being imprisoned and under the condemnation of the law to being liberated in Christ. In other words, the apostle describes what we were before our conversion, when we were under the condemnation of the law, and what we are now uh, that we are converted and have been set free from this imprisonment. And what Paul emphasizes in this passage is, note this, the status and the privileges we now have because we've been liberated from this condemnation and we're now in a relationship with Jesus Christ and all the privileges that come with that. So if you've never been converted, I pray and have been praying that as an understanding of these truths, the Lord will push you and drive you to Christ as you see what you really are under the law and what you can become by grace. I pray that you'll be convicted of your sin and not deceive yourself to thinking you're a Christian because you prayed some vague prayer of Jesus come into my heart without any awareness of, of your sinfulness and the need for repentance and true faith in Christ. And if you've already been converted, then I pray that these truths will cause you to leave here with praise and adoration and thanksgiving on your heart to God for what he has done in your life. He has set you free. So what we have in these final verses of chapter 3 then is Paul explaining to the Galatians and by way of application to every believer in Christ, and that includes us, that in coming to Christ for salvation, God has changed our status. And here's the way Paul lays out his message. His outline is very simple. His main points are very simple. There are basically two of them. He tells us, first of all, the kind of bondage we had when we were under the law. And then secondly, he explains to us the kind of freedom we now have under grace being justified by faith in Christ. So, let's get into our text and see this. The first main point of his teaching is to tell us about the bondage we had under the law. Verse 23. 
But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Now, Paul begins by telling us essentially the same thing he said in verse 22, that the law has shut up everyone under sin in the sense that we have come face to face with the fact that we are transgressors of God's will, and the law now holds us under the sentence of condemnation. But notice how Paul, in this verse, gets a little more specific and a bit more graphic in his explanation of what this means. He starts off by telling us that before faith came, what does he mean by that? He means before Jesus Christ came into the world and men had the opportunity to place their faith in him for salvation. Now, we understand that people were saved, saved by faith, which is the only way to be saved, before Christ entered the world as they looked ahead and they understood that salvation would come in the form of a redeemer. They didn't understand the details as we do, but they understood that they needed to look ahead, and they did, to a coming redeemer who would save them as God provided him. That's what Abraham said. That's what Jesus said about Abraham when he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham understood that God would provide the ultimate sacrifice for sin. But what Paul is talking about here is the actual coming of Jesus into the world, the incarnation, so that men and women would understand the details about Christ and the specific work of Christ on the cross and what that meant in redemption. And they would place their faith in Christ for salvation. But before this ever happened, both historically, meaning before the incarnation of Christ, and experientially, meaning before we personally had the opportunity to trust Christ for our salvation, Paul says we were kept in custody, under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Once again, Paul describes our relationship to the law prior to our conversion as a prison. In fact, notice that he actually describes our unconverted condition under the law with two prison-like images. First, he says, We were kept in custody under the law. Now, the thought behind this word, kept in custody, is to confine. That's literally what the word means, meaning that the law is like a jailkeeper. It won't let you escape. It guards you. It it keeps you locked up. The second word Paul used to describe the prison of the law is being shut up, which is the same word he actually used in verse 22, which means essentially the same thing. Kept in custody. The law enclosed us. It locked us up. It it held us captive without any means of escape. Now, let's think about this for a few minutes, about what Paul is actually saying here, because what he is describing, folks, is the true condition of every individual who has ever lived, and it is a horrible condition. Paul tells us that non-Christians, and we were once all in this situation, are all on death row, awaiting the most dreadful of all executions, physical death that will only lead to spiritual, eternal death in hell. What's so terrifying about this is that there is no way of getting out of this predicament. There is absolutely nothing you can do to get out of this jail. There's no religious observance that you can do. There's no law you can keep that will unlock the door. There's nothing you can do. All unsaved people are under the same sure sense of eternal doom. 
regardless of how religious or or non-religious they might be. And you know what? They know that, that things are not right with God. They know in their heart of hearts things are not right. Although may, some may try to deny this predicament by saying that they don't believe in an afterlife and certainly not in a literal hell, the truth of the matter is that in their heart of hearts, all lost individuals know that they are guilty for their many sins and that they are not right with God. Now, they may not be able to pinpoint the problem in a theologically precise way. They may not be able to articulate it in a biblical fashion using the the right theological terms, but they know what it is to feel the burden of sin and guilt. They know what it is to feel the helplessness of being enslaved to doing what they know is wrong. And everyone knows what it is like to have a guilty conscience. Everyone. I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapters 1 and 2, Paul explains that even before the giving of the written law to Israel, God wrote his law on the hearts of people, meaning that he has placed within everyone a conscience so that we would all have an instinctive sense of right and wrong and would feel guilty when we did wrong. A conscience is a moral monitor. And what Paul points out in Romans 1 and 2 is that ancient man, even without the written law of tablets that he gave to Israel, he did feel guilty about his sinful behavior. He did know he was wrong. He did know that his sins condemned him before God. I just want to give you the gist of this. I'll read a few verses to you. Stop and explain it so that you understand what Paul is talking about here. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18, Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That expression, suppress the truth in unrighteousness, means that no matter what God reveals to man, he doesn't want it. He suppresses it. He doesn't live by it. He rejects it. Literally, the thought is he holds it down so that it has no impact on his life. Now, what he is about to say in Romans chapter 1, that ancient man, though he didn't have a Bible, ancient man had God's light, had God's revelation in nature, in creation. He may not have known some of the specifics of the Bible, but he knew enough to respond to the light. How How would he know about God? Creation. God's power, God's orderliness in nature. We call that general revelation. That's why why Paul writes in verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. He says in verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Ancient man, modern man, has no excuse. He can't say, well, I I didn't know about Christ. Yes, but you knew about God. To some degree, you knew about God. You knew that there was a creator. You knew that he was powerful, but you suppressed the truth. And once you do that, once you reject the truth, you end up in a horrible condition. It is a downward spiral that leads to idolatry and debauchery. It leads to wickedness. Man stops being a worshiper of the true God and he ends up being a wicked, wicked rebel. 
We read in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 1, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. What mind is that? It's their own minds. To do those things which are not proper. God gave man, and that's the plight of society. You want to live like this? Then you live like this. And he allows man to do wicked things within the limits of his sovereign plan. Paul went on to describe some of those wicked things, and wow, it sounds like a description of almost every news story we read or hear today. We'll save that for the next class, though, because we're out of time for today. I'm glad you could join us for Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. To learn more about Lakeside, go online to lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. To learn more about Lakeside, go online to lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714 to get service times and directions. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. To listen to previous broadcasts or to help support Verse by Verse Ministries, point your web browser to versebyverseradio.org. We're thankful to and for the generous listeners who help us produce and air these broadcasts. And all of our previous programs can be found in our message archive at versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. Are you familiar with the word pedagogus? (laughs) I wasn't either until recently. It's a Greek word that the Apostle Paul used to describe God's law. It's often translated tutor, but it's actually more of a guide. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.